Well, it is that time of day. It is 102, so we'll get started. We are starting on session 23 today. Uh, and you'll notice that the last point of session 22 is the first point of session 23. So we are starting with a brand new session today. If you don't have it, uh, we've got copies up here on the table. Hopefully you grabbed it when you're coming in. All right, we have got some drama today. We've had drama for the past several weeks with Paul and Barnabas going around on their first missionary journey and then getting kicked out and, uh, and people rising up against them and spreading lies against them and inciting uh, their congregations against them in order to get them kicked out of their cities. And now we have more excitement. Uh, but this time we've got some Greek mythology that is intermixed. So if anyone other than Pastor Moline and I is interested in that, then, well, we've got some fun stuff today. We're going to start Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 18. We'll go verse by verse. Nick, if you would start us off, please. Now, Lister, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him. Seeing that he had faith, he made well. Said in a loud voice, Stand up right on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in the Barnabas they called, Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bows and reeds to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they poured their garments and rushed out of the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. That's you. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. I miss this one. Sorry. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to him. All right. So first of all, at uh, the beginning of our reading, verse 8, there is a man sitting. He was crippled from birth. What does this sound like? Uh, yeah, I was, I was thinking of uh, where have we read this before in this same book. Yes. So this is a miracle that has been performed before uh, to great effectiveness. Really gets people's attention. I mean, notice especially that it points out he's been crippled from birth. So all the people knew this. They knew the man. They saw him, you know, every day. He was probably well known. Hey, how's it going, Jim? Oh, good. How are you? Here's a coin, you know. Uh, so they knew this was not any kind of plant. This wasn't anything that they could have faked. This was a real person that had really been crippled uh, for his entire life. So Paul took this opportunity here. He looked at him, seeing that he had faith. Um, that, I think, is a little bit up to interpretation. I don't think it's super clear. And Pastor, I don't know if you have any insight to, to gain or to add to that. But my best interpretation of that would just be, he saw that the man was eager to learn. He heard the words of Paul, and he was excited about them. He wanted to hear the word of God. So Paul, seeing this, that he had faith, uh, wanted to heal him, wanted to do this miracle for what purpose? And we've talked about this many times before in this study. What's the purpose of a miracle? Get attention. To get attention, to show that they are genuine, that they really come from God, and that God really is powerful. We'll see, we, we read it there. Um, Paul said, you know, a living God. Leonard and I uh, studied Habakkuk for the past several months. And 
over and over, Habakkuk talks about how, you know, they have all these idols. You know, the, the evil Babylonians or Chaldeans, they have idols there, you know, just carved by men. And supposedly these gods, these fake gods, lived within these idols and images that they made, but they can't do anything. You know, when people came to conquer them, these gods did not save them, as opposed to our God. And then Habakkuk would go on to talk about uh, how God saved them from the Egyptians at the Red Sea and how he brought them through the wilderness and how he brought them into the promised land. And then he gave them the promised land and he gave them victories over all these peoples and nations in Canaan uh, because he's a living God. He's really real. So all of this is contained within this miracle. Paul is showing everybody, listen, this is real. Uh, We are not just some kind of pagan priests that are going to claim to do things but really can't do them. Our God is a living God. He can really heal you. He comes and he loves you. Uh, What's a really huge theme throughout all of mythology? And maybe this is, if anybody is familiar with Greek mythology, uh, were the gods really happy people? Right. Uh, They were full of jealousy. They were full of hate. Uh, Leonard, like you said, they fought amongst each other all the time. Um, Why would people like do sacrifices and stuff to Poseidon before they went out on a journey on a boat or anything? Right. Uh, Protect them, not but specifically to avert disaster. To make him happy. Because otherwise, his natural state would be angry. And hey, you're not giving me enough respect. I'm going to do this to you. And I'm going to send... You know, that's what they thought. That's how they viewed all these gods. We know that this culture was permeating this entire city. Because, well, there's a temple to Zeus and Hermes and all these other people there. There's a priest of Zeus there. Um, And so these people know, usually gods are angry. And they're trying to take out vengeance and all these types of things, that's not what our God does. You know, that's, our God loves everyone. God doesn't require things from us. God gives things to us. He gave his son as a sacrifice to us. He's not requiring sacrifices to him anymore. He fulfilled all of that in the coming of his son, and now he just wants to give to you. All of this is contained within this miracle that Paul is healing this man. He's been crippled from birth. Um, and these people are just excited to hear about this. And, I mean, there's going to be this, all this rigmarole that goes on after this. Uh, okay, any, other, any questions or anything, any comments or thoughts so far? Okay, if we could look up these two passages then that we have, Romans 10, 17, and then Luke 5, 18 to 26, that would be great. Right. So, the man heard Paul's words. Uh, So he had faith in what Paul was preaching, and his faith healed him. God healed him through this faith. And then we have Luke 5, 18 to 26. So, 
first of all, um, would these people, I mean, if you, didn't, if you didn't hear it all or anything, this is a story of the man being lowered down through the, the ceiling, through the roof, in order for Jesus to heal him. Would, would anybody bring their paralyzed friend to someone if they didn't really think that he could do anything? I mean, what does this show about the friends and probably the paralyzed man, too? They had faith. Uh, they heard the word of Christ. They heard what everybody said about him. They saw the attention that he was getting and why he deserved it. All these amazing miracles. They had faith that Christ could heal them. Uh, and that's just kind of what preceded these miracles. There was faith. The people came there in faith, hoping for healing. And, well, secondarily, probably to them, was forgiveness of sins. But their main concern, oh, well, we want to get healed. It would be nice if our sins got forgiven, too. Uh, but there was faith that he could do all those things. And he came through. He showed them that he has the power to do this. And now here we have Paul showing that they also have the power to do this. God has given them this authority on earth. Um, and it gets them the attention. It Yeah. Um, they probably tried all kinds of healing at birth and beyond, and nothing else. I'm sure. And so this, I think, is most significant that it was broken both later on. Yeah, it was not anything recent. It wasn't something that could be healed through natural means. Uh, he'd suffered this through his whole life, and now, through the supernatural power of God, it was healed. Not possible any other way except through a miracle, which is what happened. Now, uh, we've been talking about it gets people's attention for the purpose of hearing the word. They do a miracle like the apostles did in, in the temple in Jerusalem. They did this miracle and everyone wondered at this. The man went singing and dancing and jumping into the temple. And everyone went, isn't that the guy that just laid outside for years, not able to even get up? And now he's jumping into the temple, and then they heard this sermon, uh, and it was effective there. Now we're, we see something uh, different happening here. Um, was this effective at getting attention? Yes. But what was it not effective at, and why? Say again? It didn't change their ways. Okay, yes, and why did it not change their ways? Yes, there is a language barrier. These people uh, spoke like like Kaunian. That's that was my best interpretation of the word. What do you think, Pastor? I'd say like Kaunian. Okay, like <laughs> That's <laughs> not super important to the point, but uh, so we have on our sheet here. It's a now extinct and little understood language of the Anatolian branch of the Indo-European language family, like the Hittites. This was the historic land of the Hittites that we hear about all throughout the Bible as well. Uh, this means that they were very distantly related to us, and they were probably a surviving group of Hittites, in fact. The Luca people. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time researching this, but essentially, these were just, this was a powerful empire at one point, it took up about two-thirds of Turkey, and uh, it's a kind of a unique language, and over time, this empire kind of shrank and shrank, and now we just have a remnant of that, kind of a, a cultural little niche here in this city where they still speak this old language. They hang on to all of these old ways, and it, it's a barrier. It prevents them from hearing the word of God. Before I, I keep going with that point, Pastor, was there anything else you wanted to add on that front? No, but I was like seeing the Hittites, the people that speak that language, because it says that's really where our language comes from. Yeah. Because so in the area of our
<laughs> well, not all of us are German, so. Really is in the, I mean, that's part of Russia now, right? And they, um, they have the acrylic alphabet or? Yeah. Um, the place where they came from is right on the steps between Azerbaijan, Georgia, and Russia, and that little section on the far side of the Black Sea. Yes. So I think in Genesis they call them the hill people, is that right? They live in the mountains. So in the mountainous area there um, on the border of Turkey, I believe. I think these things are important because it does show that the Tower of Babel is real and it truly happened. Yeah. Um, German, English, French, Spanish, um, Greek, Latin, Italian, all these languages are all from the same family tree. And so if you want to say mom, or let's just even more so mother in Greek, what's the word, Vicar? Oh man, don't ask me that right now. Madre, right? <laughs> in Spanish is madre. In uh, Italian it's mamma mia or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and so all these languages are the same language because people spread out and just kind of changed over time in slightly different ways. All the way back yeah, it's, if you study the history of languages or anything like that, you'll kind of find, oh, that's weird. At, at one point, there was just like this huh, unexplainable explosion of languages. We wonder what that could be about. Anyways. Well, <laughs> they find historical record, but they can't find an origin. Right, right. So, And it really lines up with the timeline of the Tower of Babel. So it's one of those cool little... Uh, connections you can make through uh, secular history, as they like to say it, and biblical history, as God would actually tell it. All right, so we have this miracle. This person leaps up, and all these people start saying in Lyconian, uh, or Lycaonian, Wow! These people are, they must be gods! It must be Zeus! It must be Hermes! And they call Barnabas Zeus. You know, he's this elder guy who is kind of helping to teach Paul and helping him on his missionary journey all along. And then we have Paul, who's this great orator, and he is the main speaker guy. Well, Hermes is the messenger of the gods, in air quotes. Um, so that's why they call Paul Hermes, because he's the one that's the messenger, supposedly kind of giving this message uh, of Barnabas. You know, they, they've got this whole thing going on in their minds and how they're trying to make sense of everything. So they saw this miracle. But what they did not hear afterwards was the word. They didn't hear Paul saying, you know, what this is all about and what this means. So they draw their own conclusions about it. And that was very, uh, a very common thing that pagans did back in the day. They would see all these natural phenomenon. You know, they would, for example, they would see... The sun up in the sky and Egyptians without hearing the word of God and knowing that God put the sun in the sky and he put all the stars in the sky would say to themselves, oh, there must be uh, some person up there with the head of a bird and his name is Ra and he takes the sun across the sky every single day and look at all the stars in the sky. There must be all these little campfires of the gods and they come up with all these things, you know. Their brain has to make all these connections somehow without the word of God. It just totally goes off the rails. And that's what's going on here. Paul and Barnabas, they didn't ask for any kind of sacrifices. There was nothing that they did or said that would lead these people to believe that they should go and sacrifice to these people. They made all their own connections. I think that we see that today a lot as well. What are some things that you might think of where people have made their own assumptions or kind of made up their own story to explain things. The first thing that comes to my mind uh, would be karma. Well, you know, uh, if you do bad things, then more bad things will happen to you. And if you do good things, then more good things will happen to you, and so on and so forth. Um, is there anything else you can think of? Think maybe uh, creation. You know, they, they don't have the word of God and they assume all these crazy things must have happened, right? 
things that logically really can't happen. Um, you know, things evolving from completely and totally different things. For example, you know, oh, we, the way that we have eagles today. Well, you know, they must have evolved uh, a long time ago from fish. It's like, that doesn't logically make any sense, you know? And they have to make up all these very elaborate things that, well, this must have happened and this must have happened. And, you know, they have to make all these dots. So they have to connect all these dots themselves in their own minds. And they refuse to believe absolutely anything else. And then they'll go on to say, well, it's science. You don't believe in science. You're rejecting science and all of these things. Well, in my experience, science is kind of a religion in and of itself. Uh, science is all about, you know, observing things, doing experiments, and being able to recreate those experiments. Well, to this day, I don't think that anybody has been able to recreate any of these theories that they've made. You know, they've tried, like with the, the Large Hadron Collider and everything, you know, to mimic the Big Bang and how everything could have come into existence and how everything possibly could have been formed, but in my mind at least, they can't even agree with science themselves. They can't replicate any of these ex experiments or theories or anything uh, in order to confirm them. And so, to me, people saying that everything came from, you know, rocks and all this primordial soup and everything like that is just another way to try to cope with thinking, oh, anything but God makes everything. Anything but the real triune God is to blame for absolutely everything. Um, so that's kind of what comes to my mind with this. What thoughts, comments do you have? Have you heard the explanation of, so the evolutionists say they can compare the anatomy and the bone structure of a fish to that of a bird or a monkey to that of a human and say that proves you know we just don't know what happened in between but that proves that you know things are have, have evolved one from another and the explanation i heard was well a god of order would make things similar and if there are laws of physics that can can explain you know uh, how, how matter changes over time or when it comes together, whatever, it just makes sense that a God, a God of order would have set things up that way. I've, I've heard that kind of thing before, and usually people will uh, use that type of reasoning to say that uh, God caused evolution. Is that, is that kind of oh. the same line of thought that you're thinking there? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. Okay. Yeah, well, as an extension of her beyond that. Yeah. I kind of, my thinking just stopped that. Uh, a, a, a God would have made things orderly. Yeah. I mean, so you, yeah, you can take it in a positive light. Like, well, of course, all of these things are going to be similar, right? All of these, for example, uh, all these creatures have a heart. You know, in order to pump their blood through their veins and everything like that. Um, of course, if that is a good design that works well, God is going to use that for all of his living creatures because he thinks that that works well. And, you know, he's a God of order, so he's going to do it that way. Um, and then in the negative light, people would say, well, you know, that's that's evidence for evolution. You know, maybe God caused evolution because all of these things are so similar and you know, they'll, they'll use that line of reasoning to start saying those types of things, to try to reconcile the religion of science with the religion of the Bible, the true religion, Christianity. But, and this is a little bit off in the weeds here, I, I'll just <laughs> make a really quick point here. What's the problem with theistic evolution? That's what they call it. What's the problem with theistic evolution? In other words, what is necessary in evolution? A creator. Uh, not a seven-day creation. Right, not a seven-day creation, mm -hmm. as well as death. You know, that's, that's what evolution is all about. Well, this thing, you know, it, this thing died out, and, you know, the next thing was a little bit better, and it lived a little bit longer. So then, you know, that, that specific uh, set of 
you know, senses or whatever it was that made it live longer continued on to the next generation and over generations and generations, then everything was refined to be like it is today. Evolution necessarily means that death is in the world. And if there was theistic evolution, if God caused evolution, then logically it would follow that God caused death. Now, is that true? No. No. God did not cause death because death is a result of what? Sin. Sin. And so if God were to cause death, that would mean God would have to cause sin. And that is completely and totally opposite of God's nature. God did not cause sin. That's not a biblical teaching. Um, The Bible is clear. Mankind sinned. Mankind is the one that brought sin into the world, not God. Fun tangent. Any other comments or or questions before we keep on moving on? Yeah. The way I kind of think of evolution is to God, time is is nothing. So in one day, he created so much. It didn't take years because God could do that act in a day or that. The next day, he created something else. In the same pattern that they look back and, and, and say happened, but it happened in day time instead of years or days of years. So he did it all in, in the same order that they're finding, but in a short period of time than what we can understand or accept. That's how I look at the evolution. Yeah. I mean, God has created everything. He can create whatever it is he wants at any point in its life cycle. Um, That's often something that's overlooked by people. Uh, So yeah, that's a great point. Thank you, Ken. All right, we'll keep moving on then through our our text here. So they call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. Uh, This is in verse 12 of Acts 14. Uh, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus then comes out with these sacrifices and and garlands and everything, and he wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. Uh, But then, finally, Paul and Barnabas, when they heard of it, when they realized what was going on, that people were not excited because they were hearing the word of God, they were excited because they thought they were gods, then everything starts going downhill. Wait, stop it, you know. They go out, no, 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 no. This is not at all what we had in mind. We're trying to bring you the word of God to tell you about God, not to tell you about ourselves, because we're not gods. We're men, just like you. We have flesh, just like you. You know, don't offer sacrifices to us. It's not about us. It's about God and the word of God. Um, So then we have a little bit of a sermon. I think we've got... Verses 15 through 18 here. And I will read this, and we can analyze it a little bit. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet, he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. All right. So, first of all, law and gospel. What do we find here? We'll start with the law, of course. We're good Lutherans after all. So, the law. Where do we find the law in these few verses? That you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Right. Vain things. What do you think he's talking about here? The thing that's slapping us in the face. It's mythology and gods. Right. They're false beliefs. Um, They're idolatry, especially. Turn from all of these vain things. Another thing I want to point out. Um... In verse 15, we are also men of like nature with you. 
What do you what do you think about that? Of like nature with you. Sinners. <laughs> right. The the sinful Mortal. nature. Mortal. Yes, thank you. Um, there's not a divine nature in them because they aren't Christ. You know, Christ is the combination of the human nature with the divine nature and totally mysterious to us. We can't fully comprehend the the divinity and uh, the humanity of Jesus put into one. Um, and Paul and Barnabas are saying, listen, it's not like that at all. We're not gods. We're not uh, humans combined with gods. We're not anything like that. We're just humans. We have a sinful nature. We've got flesh, just like you do. We're prone to these things, just like you do. But we're here to tell you to stop. Cast aside these vain things, this idolatry, these false beliefs, um, all of that. And now we're going to move on to the gospel. So where is our gospel here in this sermon? A living God, yes, that that is certainly a part of it. What else? Right, and he didn't leave himself without good witness either. He is satisfying all these things. He's satisfying your uh, temporal needs, right? Well, a living God can also satisfy their divine or spiritual needs as well. Um, so he wants them to turn away from all their false gods to the real God, because the real God offers things that their false gods cannot give them. And now our third point in this sermon. Is it about Jesus? Do we get to Jesus yet? Did not leave himself without a witness. Um, well, there he's talking about the uh, rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Um, so he's not talking about Jesus there. <laughs> well, we know that there was because Luke writes it. It's Jesus. Well, not quite. That is certainly pointing forwards to Jesus. But does he get to Jesus? No, he really doesn't. One could make a case when he says a living God, um, that that is pointing forward to them teaching about the resurrection of Christ, right? Because Jesus died at one point and then he was resurrected. He is a living God. Um, there was an Easter hymn that just popped into my head and left just as soon as it popped away. Um, <laughs> Pastor, help me out here. Great Easter hymn talking about Jesus being alive. That's pretty much all. Hey, there we go. <laughs> Close enough. But yeah, that's what we confess on Easter. Christ is risen. He is living. He's a real living God who is not dead, who is not contained in an idol, um, any of that stuff. But we don't really get to Jesus quite yet because they get interrupted. Even with these words, they're still trying to insist, no, we must sacrifice these bulls. We have to do all these things for you. Have this festival for you, Zeus and Hermes. They don't want to listen to the word of God, so they don't quite get there yet. All right, uh, we're ready to move on to our next section then. Were there any thoughts or comments or questions or anything we might have before we keep going? Pardon? They need to fix it. Not <laughs> yeah. They, uh, it's a mess so far. It's not going the way that they really intended it to. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes in our next section here. We're going to read Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. And I think, Pastor, it left off at you. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And then on the next day, 
Yep. All right. So, preaching of the word, uh, does it always go well? No. No, no it does not. And uh, so we have scriptural evidence for this as well. As great of a, uh, a speaker and orator and witness that Paul is, even he is not 100% successful in converting uh pagans, non-believers over to Christianity. Even Jews who should know the scriptures, they know the Old Testament, you know, that's their religion. He's not successful with them either. Especially evidenced by what it says in verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Um, Nick, would you look at chapter 13, verse 50 of Acts, please? And then, um, Leonard, you're right here. We'll go to verse 2 of chapter 14 here. So the Jews, they came from Antioch and Iconium. These are the same Jews that drove them out of their previous cities. Go ahead, Nick. For the Jews incited the devout women of Christ's standing, the leading men of the city, stirred up so that was the Jews at Antioch, and then Leonard. Um, Fourteen two. Yep. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So these Jews, they did not accept God's word. They saw Paul and Barnabas as being kind of uh, very antagonistic toward their faith, right? And they try to drive them out. Well, they're so angry that they follow them. I think we have here in our study, Antioch is a hundred miles away. Iconium is 25 miles away. Now, this does not take like, you know, an hour or a couple hours to drive from one place to the other. They had to walk a hundred miles. That's Imagine staying that angry for that long, walking a hundred miles just to go and persecute these guys who preached against your faith. They weren't satisfied with just driving them out of their own towns, their own cities. Um, they wanted to follow them and make sure that nobody anywhere, anywhere would listen to them. They tried to stir up trouble wherever it is that they went. They were committed to their beliefs. Yes. To the point that it didn't matter how far they had to go. Right, to a kind of fanatical point. And they were going to save the other people from Paul and Barnabas. Right. In their minds, anyways, right? Yes. You know. And on one level, it's a little bit understandable, right? You know, if somebody came here and tried to go up in the pulpit and start telling you all about how, you know, well, you guys are are missing everything. You know, there's more to it. And they tried to add to everything and preach their, their own sermons and everything. Uh, you'd probably get kind of upset at them. Get out of here. What are you doing? You know? Um, but what they were missing was just that it was the truth, that these people were sent from God. Uh, they hardened their hearts towards Scripture, towards the Word. And that causes kind of violent, angry reaction. Uh, let's see. We've got on our study here. How do they treat Paul? We're going to consider this swing, how, how different it was. What happened when they first got here? They treated them like gods. Yes. Um, not even just like gods. Thought they were the actual gods. Um, because, of, of course, of this miracle, something totally supernatural. So first they worship him like a god, and then these Jews come in. They poison their minds against Paul and Barnabas. And then what did they do? Stoned him. And then they took him out and threw him in the trash. <laughs> no, thought, oh, well, he's dead. Uh, get him out of here. They don't even give him a proper burial. You know, he, he's a person. He's a human. And there were proper burial rites and ceremonies that they would go through even at this time. 
They didn't even give him that amount of honor or dignity. These people that are doing this are Gentiles, right? Um, they, it's, they're not Jews that know the Bible. They know the prophecies. It's a mix. I think it's a whole mixed bag here. We know that there were pagans there that, um, like, you know, that they called them Zeus and Hermes and everything. So they would be pagans there. There would also be Jews. And as we'll see as we kind of go along here, there were also some people that actually believed. Hopefully, they did not take part in any of this, of course. Um, but I think it would be a whole mixed bag. What do you think, Pastor? I think so, too. I think uh, verse 19 says that the Jews from Antioch and Iconium are the ones who are doing the persuading of the crowd. Um, now, then there's ambiguity about the they in the next after comma. It says, they stone Paul. I think that's a mixed bag instigated by the Jews that came from Antioch and Iconium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, mixed bag. We know that there were certain groups that were definitely involved. So um, they, they could be persuaded because they respected the Jews and their long time religion. I, I don't know that we can necessarily uh, say that for sure. That is great speculation. Certainly the people listened to the Jews because they were incited and affected by their words. Um, but I think one thing that we could consider is, you know, kind of group think type of stuff. You know what I mean? Go ahead, Pastor. I was going to say, I think we can look at the other examples from the scripture. Take, for example, Jesus' ministry. When he drives out uh, a demon and the crowds say, oh, it's only by Beelzebul that he is able to drive out demons. I think if the Jews showed up and said, no, they're not gods, they're demon-possessed, wicked, evil men, and that's how they're doing that, that that would be a way that the whole crowd could be stirred up. Because you cannot deny the miraculous healing. All you can do is attribute it to some sort of wicked sorcery or something like that. They do the same thing later on, Christians do, right? Christians are cannibals who eat babies. Um, things like that are the way that they spread lies about Christians to bring them to death in the amphitheaters and things like that. Yep. Spreading lies, confusion, anything that they can. Even says that in the Gospels regarding, um, you know, that the soldiers go to the leaders of the Jews and say, oh, the body of Jesus is gone. They pay them money and say, uh, just say that they came and stole the body and, and moved it away and spread all these stories. And then uh, is it in Matthew where it says, and this story is spread throughout the Jews to this day. <laughs> of course, Matthew was talking about his day there, but it's actually still true to our day, too. If you ask the Jews, well, then what happened to Jesus' body? They will actually say, well, they probably just stole it and, and put it away somewhere. <laughs> so lies are a very effective tool that they use very frequently against the people of God. All right, so next we have... Uh, Paul is severely wounded. We have a, a passage from 2 Corinthians 11.25. And that just is a, a short list. Pastor, if, you would, if you're going to head there, that would be awesome. <laughs> um, it's a short list of all the things Paul has endured at the hands of evil people. You know, for the purpose of spreading the gospel. Things that happened to him on all of his missionary journeys and everything. And then, like we said before, he's thrown outside the city kind of in the trash, where they put unclean or dead animals and things like that. Go ahead, Pastor. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. The night and the day adrift at sea. So all these things he's enduring just for spreading the gospel. All for the purpose of just doing what God told him to do. Now... We have point three here near the bottom of our sheet. Paul rises, anastas. This is not an unimportant word. Um, is Paul unclean? No. no. Uh, is he dead? No. <laughs> no. He's risen. 
Anastasis is the word that is used to describe what Christ did from the tomb. He rose from the dead. He was lifted up by God. That's the same word that they use for Paul here. He rose. He stood up. Uh, He wasn't dead. He was alive. I don't think that that happened very often. I don't think that people were unsuccessful in stoning them. I don't know if you've seen any kind of biblical era movies or TV shows or anything where they depict any kind of stoning, but it's not like gravel that you can find by the side of the road. It's not the kind of thing that you'll get to pave your your driveway or anything. And they stoned them, these huge jagged rocks, and they would just hurl them, you know, aiming for the head, hey, five points, that kind of thing. Uh, People did not survive this very readily at all. So it's, it's nothing short of the work of God that Paul was protected from this, that he not only survived, um, apparently, without really suffering, like, too much damage, because it says the next day they did what? They traveled. They traveled. <laughs> Somebody who has a, a massive concussion or anything, are you going to find them walking for miles and miles? No. Now, he was certainly injured, and our text says that. It definitely hurt. But God protected him from any kind of uh, debilitating injuries. Um, I think I I have notated here as well, Mark 8.31. That's where Jesus taught them all about how he would have to die, and then on the third day he would rise. And that's the same Greek word that's used there, anastasis. All right, so then they go on to the city of Derby. That's 60 miles. So he gets knocked out from being stoned by these people and dragged out of the city, thrown in the trash, and all the disciples, they go and gather around him, it says. Why do you think that is? Protecting from the crowd still? Well, I, I doubt that there was probably a crowd. They, pro- they thought he was dead. So, you know, they, they throw him out there. Good riddance with you. They leave. The disciples come and surround him, probably for, like, funeral-type purposes. <laughs> um, think, they probably also thought he was dead. He just got stoned. People don't survive that. They saw the people uh, drag him out of the city, throw him in the trash, and they're, well, like, well, uh, R.I.P., Paul. You're about to have a, a nice Christian committal and everything and read how many readings is it do we do, Pastor? Seven or eight readings? Um, but then he stands up. He's like, whew, ouch, that hurt. Let's go. <laughs> uh, and they go on to Derby. And what do they do at Derby? They preach to them. They make disciples of them. They continue to spread the word of God. They're not deterred from their mission which is a, kind of amazing. If it were me, and speaking for myself, uh, I'd probably be out of commission after that. <laughs> um, but thanks be to God, Paul was not. He continued with his mission and to great success. So they go to Derby, they make more disciples, and then what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they go back, so this is evidence that it was not completely fruitless there. Um, Yeah, certainly uh, uh, there was a crowd of people who did not hear the word and who stoned him and threw him out of the city, but the word was not completely ineffective. They go back and uh, let me see, verse 21, when they preached the gospel to Derbe uh, and had made many disciples, then they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. (laughs) That, to me, is uh, so admirable. (laughs) You just get stoned, thrown outside the city, into the trash, into a heap of disgusting, you know, dead bodies and unclean things and everything, and then you go and use that as a sermon theme. Well, look at me. I just got stoned and thrown out of the city. You know what they say. Through many tribulations, you got to enter the kingdom of God. (laughs) 
Um, so that, he uses that as part of his ministry. It would be an inspiration to see somebody do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's one of the, the things that we can look at the saints and the martyrs and everything, get inspiration from everything they went through, and yet still held fast to the faith. Ken? His healing and allowing him to walk to Derby was another miracle that they probably were able to identify when, they, when he went back because he shouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah, and our text doesn't explicitly say that, but it certainly is implied. He, he rose up. You know, it doesn't say, and God uh, healed him and made him rise up. He doesn't say specifically, uh, but we can certainly take it out of that verse. Paul rose up, just like Christ rose up, and continued on with his mission. Um, so that was certainly an amazing thing caused by God. And that would be encouraging to the disciples when he went back to know that God is still with him, and that there is a God, and they can take courage in that. And that's kind of what Paul is getting at from that Second uh, Corinthians passage that we read as well. Second Corinthians, is that chapter eleven, right? Eleven twenty-five. Those verses right in there, he's talking about all these hardships and everything that he's gone through, uh, and yet he has done it all for the word of God, all by the power of God. He's able to do these things. Um, so it is an inspiration. He can encourage the apostles with that, all the other disciples and everything. He can encourage all the disciples they made along their missionary journey. I was stoned, and look at me now. I'm still here. I'm still living. And it's all because of our living God. Uh, I shouldn't be here right now, but I am. Inspiration to his brothers and sisters in Christ, for sure. So they went on all, all through these places where they got thrown out before, where they got stoned before, where people, the Jews, um, incited the crowds against them before, strengthening the faith of all their brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> um, where do we want to go next here? Well, our, our study gives us a great some great picture language here. If we look at point D11, 1A1, Eris, oof, Episterizo, right? Okay, Episterizo. Uh, strengthening has the idea of giving support. So what you would do for tomato plants, a tomato cage, or with a cane. Um, it, it's as an acknowledgement that these people's faith was still weak. It was there but it was still weak, still needed encouragement. Um, they use this in Old Testament for holding the hands of Moses or fixing your eyes upon something, always used in New Testament in terms of experiencing the comfort of the gospel. Uh, you know, Paul spent some time around Peter, learning from all the disciples, especially Peter, on its time before he went on his missionary journey. And one of, it was the first text that I ever wrote a sermon on in seminary. It was 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, where it talks about how once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. God has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, this is the kind of message that Paul would be preaching to all these disciples, these new Christians that he just made. Um, Listen, before, this is what you were like. Remember just a, a month or two ago when I was here, all of you didn't believe anything, and you know maybe you believed in Zeus and in Hermes and stuff. That's all in the past now. Now you are living in God's light. Now you are experiencing the forgiveness of sins that Christ offers to you uh, through his sacrifice on the cross. That's, that's the kind of thing that he'd be preaching to them. That's the kind of thing that Peter was preaching to all of the churches that he sent letters to as well. <clears throat> and then we have, let's see, a sermon fragment, just a short segment of what he said. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Um, we covered that a little bit already. He used his experience to reinforce, I'm still here. I can go through all this and remain a Christian. You can too. 
know, God preserves his people. We've got verse 23 next. Uh, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This verse is just a little heavier than what you really realize on first read through. First of all, the elders here. What do they mean when they say elders in this context here? Pastors. Right. Um, the word that they use here is uh, presbuteroi. And it probably sounds a little familiar to you. If you've heard of the Presbyterians, that's where, excuse me, that's where they get their name from, is the Greek word presbuteroi, which just means uh, elder. Um, but those are ministers that they made. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they go through and they do all these church planting and they encourage the disciples and they don't leave them hanging. They don't just go, all right, well, you know, keep going, guys. Keep doing your daily devotions or we're going to get out of here. Uh, they appoint pastors. They teach them and they commit them to the Lord. In other words, what? It's an O word. They ordain them to be pastors. Um, what else do we have in this verse here? We've got our last point of today. Perfect. Um, we got point four there, right above number three. Quote, in which they had believed. Here we have a rare Greek form called the pluperfect. Um, this is a past form of a perfect. Uh, they are doing these things in a continual sense. The pluperfect is in the past. So what that means is it is a past completed action with enduring results. Here's an example because I know that's confusing. Um, a city that they had built. Well, the city was already built but it's still there today. So it's something that happened in the past, but the result continues on. The city is still there. It was built in the past. Taking that now to our text, the faith in which they had. Faith came to them. It's uh, a point in time, you know, being baptized, hearing the word. They have faith. Now, it could be, you know, weak or strong, still need encouraging, so on and so forth. Uh, but they had faith, and they are continuing to have that same faith. In the English, that this could get really confusing. This is why I'm, I'm trying to make this really clear here. Um, it's worded, let me find it again here, in whom they had believed. In English, that sounds like, well, they used to believe it, but they don't anymore. And so now we're here to... Uh, reapply or you know re-up their faith type of thing that's not what it's saying here in the Greek it's much more clear that it was uh, a past completed action they had faith and they still have that faith the apostles are here to encourage them in that faith continue to grow and strengthen that faith through the word what else do you have Nothing? Okay. So we got that uh, all covered. What questions, what comments or thoughts or anything might you have before we close up today? Very good. I guess uh, mission accomplished. <laughs> Great. Um, well, then let's, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together to close. Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.